Welcome to the Towns Learning Show podcast series, episode 33 with independent learning tech analyst John Lay. Today I interview Ajay Pangarkar, accomplished author, instructor, and consultant about the best way to measure training ROI. Find more of our fiercely independent content at townslearning.com. Well, welcome back, everyone. On this show, I'm fortunate to interview the world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning solutions from both the vendor and the practitioner perspectives. And today is no different. Our guest, Ajay, is highly experienced eclectic expert and a favorite topic around here at Talented Learning, training ROI and the measurement thereof. No one I know is more uniquely qualified or passionate about this topic than Ajay. For years, he's been helping L&D practitioners develop the financial acumen they need to work effectively with their business decision makers. Ajay is an accomplished author, instructor, LinkedIn learning instructor, blogger, and strategic performance consultant with serious credentials in both finance and learning. Ajay, welcome to the Talented Learning Show. It's a pleasure, John. I'm really happy to be here with you. I've admired you from afar, so what better place to be? What better place to be? Excellent. Well, that's <laughs> that's great because I've been admiring you too. And you know, we're cut from the same cloth as we were just talking about. We yeah. both focus on uh, you know the intersection of, of business and learning. Uh, I'm a learning guy that's learned or is trying to learn the business side and become more of a business person. You're a business guy uh, that has an emphasis on helping training professionals, you know, get that financial and business acumen so they can win yeah. executive support and investment for learning technology, which is really the same thing I do, but not quite so formally, nor, <laughs> nor uh, with as much experience. But what led you down this path? Tell us about your history, how you got uh, to where you're at right now. Give us, give us, said, give us the dime tour of your life. You said we only had 30 minutes, so okay. <laughs> I know. Well, how about anybody, uh, listeners, go to uh, Ajay's uh, LinkedIn profile, and you have to click like six times to get uh, all the experience in, in your resume. So anyways, John, thank you. Uh, yeah, my experience is that, uh, unlike a lot of people, uh, maybe of our generation, who fell backwards into training and development or learning and development, um, what I call becoming an L&D practitioner by accident. Uh, and again, I don't want to say anything bad about it because I think it's a very value profession and a lot of great schools are doing some great things, instructional design and educational technology. However, in my day, that wasn't the case. Um, but I, my plan was never to get an L&D in the first place. My plan was to be in finance and accounting and I went on to, you know, finish degrees in finance and international business and and then I actually wanted to get into investment banking, um, little to, to to my dismay that they told me I was too old to get into currency trading, so I left that. Um, and uh, I decided to pursue uh, a business consulting firm, but actually, funnily enough, it was a uh, small business training company, meaning that I would go out to train a lot of startups in, in business topics and their management teams and stuff like that, teach them in finance, accounting, marketing, and that kind of stuff to for them to understand really the business concepts. And um, that led to me, of course, to pursue a, a C, uh, my CPA designation here in Canada. Uh, and uh, fast forward, you know, 20 plus years now, and um, because of getting into that training space, and then I, of course I forgot I, I, later on because I was in training so much for business training, I decided to go back to university and do a um, a graduate degree in adult education. Mm. And then, of course, after I finished that and running my own business, I tried to figure out, okay, how do these two, it's like Sesame Street. Remember, John, one of these things is not like the other? <laughs> well, guess what? I had a, a graduate degree in adult learning and I had my CPA in finance degree. And I'm like, how do these two things work? Mm -hmm. And then 
around the same time, the ROI, training ROI movement started ramping up. And I started reading all the books on this, and I'm like, this is leading people down a bad path because, and and this is, uh, I'm not speaking as my opinion, I'm speaking through actual facts because it wasn't communicating ROI in the terms that business leaders wanted to see it. So when an L&D person started communicating L&D, sorry, uh, training ROI to, uh, to a, a business leader, we're speaking, you know, two different languages and two different understandings. And so I started to pursue research all of this and, and started writing about it. And of course, not making many friends in, in the meantime, but I wasn't there to make friends. I was there to tell the truth. And the truth was not my truth as people like to, to, to believe. The truth was the actual foundation within finance and accounting rules and, and stuff that the business leaders are formally educated in. And so that's where I was coming from, not to make people look bad, but to make people look, L&D practitioners look better in how to communicate with leaders. And that's sort of where, where I came from, and that's where I am sort of today, a little bit today. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Anyways, I tried to make that short. Was that under 30 minutes, by the way? That was under 30 <laughs> minutes. We're, we're doing good. We still have time for more questions. We still have time. So, you know, how does that process work? What are... So I also, as part of that uh, ROI movement, uh, uh, you know, throughout the years, uh, I had to take courses on that. We had to think about that in the past and always try to position learning management or learning technology systems purchases uh, through, you know, the lens of, of ROI. How are we learning it wrong? For, let's first start off with how L&D and a lot of people not only are conflating um, the term ROI, meaning the true literal term in business of return on investment or what they call the DuPont methodology that all business and accounting people learn, um, the actual calculation. And the generic term that you and I always use, you know, well, what's our return on investment on this? You know, like, what are we expecting out of it? That's what we're trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, and so L&D people are conflating to, now add a layer to this for, you know, decades, L&D has been desperate to gain some sort of business credibility because they've always been seen as a necessary evil in the eyes of business leaders and of course always got their budgets cut first because it's intangible you can't see the results and you know why do we need this so the ROI was almost like that little magic pill that people thought they would take and it would be their panacea to you know here's the analogy John I hope you I hope you like that. I use this all the time Here's the analogy. So uh, believe it or not, I was a nerd in school. I know people have a hard time believing that. I'm trying to be smart and funny here. Okay, so, but I was a nerd in school and I tried to fit in with the cool kids. And what I did was I would listen into their conversations and I would pick up on the cool terms that they would be using. And I took that cool term, one cool term, and I walked into one of their conversations once and I started using it. And they all looked at me like I was an idiot, right? The L&D is the nerd in the schoolyard trying right. to fit in with the cool kids who are the business leaders. And they picked up on the term of return on investment and they're running with it um, and, and they're just using it incorrectly. Now here's the thing, go back to that literal sense and the figurative sense that we talked, that we're conflating the two. When you talk to a business leader, like if you talk to me or anybody who talks to me about ROI, it's automatic in my mind because I've been, call it brainwashed, programmed or educated. I'm sure you're like that, John, too. You have been for three, four years of my university degree, plus my CPA background, I'm programmed to think of how to calculate ROI one way or a couple of ways. And there's certain things, assumptions that get in my head subconsciously. And it's not about the figurative sense, it's actually the literal sense. And especially when it comes to business conversations. And, and that's the one thing. The second thing is that things like a training and development, um, as far as a service activity, is seen in, in accounting and, uh, and, and finance 
and people take this the wrong way. It's a four-letter word, but they see it as a cost or cost center. Mm -hmm. Now, I need to make people realize that when your leaders say cost or your cost center, it's not an insult. It's a way to categorizing how to how those funds are allocated in the budget and how to measure the performance out of that center. Because in te technically we're, and I'm going maybe in the weeds here, but there's basically three centers in an organization, a profit center, we all know what that is, an investment center and a cost center. So when people say you're a cost to business, that's not an insult. That's actually a way of a CEO or CEO or CFO in their mind trying to position you as far as how do they measure performance from your, your end. And, and that's the thing we need to realize. That's And training itself as an activity is a, a cost, it's an expense, it's a line item for a period. It cannot be measured in the long term. I know we always say, John, you know, you and I, you know, bantered online about, you know, yeah, learning if we train people well over years, you'll see progress in the value of business. But can we actually, three years from now, say that John became better because of that training? Chances are is yes, but can we actually prove it? No. So you can't prove an ROI on this type of this type of investment, even though it's an investment in people. It's not a, a tangible investment. Wow. You mentioned something. Sorry, go ahead. Let me pause no, no, there for please, No, please continue. And then you said something about technology. So here's where it gets a little bit, not confusing, but a little convoluted. So when leaders start investing in tangible investment. So on your balance sheet of a, of a financial statement of a company, you will never see a line for learning. And, and maybe that should change. I've always been a proponent about the balance sheet of accounting system should need to account for knowledge because most leading organizations today are knowledge organizations, not tangible organizations like they used to be. But the balance sheet is still old fashioned. So you will not see any type of knowledge accountability on that. But what you'll see on the balance sheet is the value of the tangible investment. So the equipment, what we call in accounting PPE, uh, property planting equipment. So anything tangible to the organization. Now, here's the deal. We have now been given the, uh, you know, L&D has been given this opportunity to buy a lot of different technologies and equipment like LMSs, as you've mentioned, and you've been involved in, you know, major investments in organization, tablets per se for thousands or tens of thousands of people. You know, I, I'm doing work with the government in Canada with the department that buys iPhones for the, all the employees in the government. Now there's hundreds of thousands of employees in the government that all need these iPhones. They're actually going mobile now. So think about the capital investment to buy those iPhones, right? So mm -hmm. those are capital investments and that capital investment is measured in the true tangible accounting and financial sense of return on investment. Because you can document it on a balance sheet, you can see the value, you can see the return on investment on it over time. So there are two things we have to be careful here and I don't want to scare people. I really don't want to scare. They don't, I want to qualify this, John. People in L&D are not meant to be business or financial experts. Mm -hmm. But what they're meant to be is to be literate, they need to understand, and they need to be able to partner up with the right people in the organizations like the finance department or the accounting department to, or the CFO to, to work together to build a proper business case for learning. Because when you're doing a business case for learning or learning strategy, you're going to have two components. You're going to have the expensed activity, meaning I trained John in something and that happened at that moment and I stuck something in his head and some knowledge in his head. That is not a return on investment. That's an expense. And then I have the technology John used, whether he's, I'm tracking him to an LMS or he's using a tablet or some e-learning software. That's a tangible activity which can be tracked as far as the value in the organization. 
but essentially that's the two things that people need to be literate about. They don't need to understand because you partner up with the accounting for the department to help you build this proper case. How do you get to proving your worth then? If you can't do it, you know, in a traditional pure business return on investment way. So we're not alone in this, John. <clears throat> There's a lot of business functions that are very intangible in the organization. And and we have to first admit the fact that we are a support mechanism. I mean, we're Party, the fabric infrastructure, and we support. Now, uh, there's other support mechanisms in organizations. Uh, one of them is marketing, another one is finance, and another one is HR. These are typically the four that are support mechanisms, but they're all intangible. Now, I take marketing as a, a close analogy to LMD. Uh, marketing is a little ahead of the curve where LMD is. But what marketing discovered, many, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, and up maybe up to the 80s, maybe even into the early 90s, they realized that, you know, we'll spend a million, you know, a couple million dollars on an ad campaign, but did that actually translate into growing revenue for the company, right? I always use this analogy, like you sit in front of your TV, you're going to watch your Super Bowl commercials. The company has dropped $10 million for an ad spot on the Super Bowl coming up. Can they, did that convince John to jump off of his couch to buy a bag of Doritos at a store the next day? Can we make that tangible connection? No. You can't prove that because you went to the store next day, it was caused in direct correlation to you watching the ad on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now let's park that for a second because Ellen is the same thing, right? I trained John in something and he gets better at his job because of it. But can I tangibly, just like the Doritos, can I tangibly tie that knowledge I shoved in John's head to his better, making his job better? Chances are there's a causal relationship to it, but there's no direct correlation. Mm -hmm. So now we've got two very similar analogies. So what did marketing do? Marketing came across technology. You know, all of us are used to cookies and tracking uh, softwares. You know, we go online, we click on something. They can, they have now tangible metrics to see how well that is taken. And chances are is that, yes, they're still going to put the ad up because people expect those ads, but they have a, com a company strategy in marketing. Doritos, let's say. I'm picking on Doritos. I don't know why, but... Uh, you know, some online strategy. Yeah, they're tasty. Yeah, absolutely. But there's a, ta there's a there's a there's an online campaign using technology to track where you need to focus their efforts and how to track the right consumers to get them to buy, and this makes it tangible. We need we're we we're in the same process. Probably maybe about ten years back, as far as not in technology, but as far as in thinking. Um, we're trying to do that. We're you're using the LMSs and trying to figure out how do we track John's progress over time, and and more so, the best LMSs are tied into major enterprise systems, which tie into what we call a performance management framework. And this performance management framework is driven by senior leadership, and they have all the all the met key performance metrics, all the targets, all the everything that's in there that cascades throughout the organization. Now, if I train John and I track his progress in this LMS, now I'm making some tangible connections. And ultimately, I need to move the needle, the key performance metrics in his job, in his department, cascaded up all the way to meeting the strategic objectives of the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, think about it this way. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll give you one last example to think about how to make this tangible. Because training, like marketing, is intangible. And at the end of the day, the results of the company, if I do, if I train you better, or if I train the staff better, it will result in greater revenue and either or greater profitability, depending on what I'm trying to do, save, you know, create efficiencies. But here's the deal. Here's an example. I love Starbucks. I don't like people might argue with. I love Starbucks. 
But what I love about Starbucks is not just their coffee. It's the way they go about giving you the coffee. Now think about this for a second. You're going to go to Starbucks next time, and I want all the people watching this to say, do this one thing. When they order coffee, first of all, their coffees are already custom coffees up on the menu. And then you get some Yahoo in front of you who's going to customize it even further. And three minutes later, it's going to be at the end of the counter for you to pick up exactly as you want it. Okay, if that didn't impress you, first of all, because that's driven by knowledge, we had to make sure that those baristas are skilled enough to make the exact coffee custom but and further customize it for you to get it precisely as you want it, right? That If that didn't impress you yet, you can travel anywhere in the world to any Starbucks and that coffee will be exactly the same every single time. That's got to blow your mind. And if you don't believe, if you're watching this and you believe L&D is not getting any credibility, Starbucks sees the power in learning within the organization. They see the power of equipping the barista and that has led to them to, you know, still to this day, uh, record record revenues. And of course it leads to increasing efficiencies because they're finding ways to make the baristas more efficient to make those coffees. So if it takes three minutes, maybe they're gonna ramp that down to 2.8 minutes. And that 0.2 minutes of difference is gonna create millions of, hundreds of millions of dollars of savings within the organization. But that's where the results have to take place. It's not about what you learn. I'm not gonna measure, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna be very controversial here and I'm gonna to stick to my guns. Testing somebody to tell me how much they've learned is not a performance outcome. Getting people to do something, to improve something within the organization, that's the result of learning. Learning mm -hmm. is about doing, not about learning. That's my, my, I should create bumper stickers. Employee learning is, you know, as you've been describing, is much more difficult to measure, though not impossible for, you know, the world's best organizations. But extended enterprise learning, at least in my opinion, seems a lot closer uh, from a reality standpoint, uh, somewhere in between marketing and employee learning uh, on, on the timeline there of, of being able to use integrations or rather CRM data or business data to justify on a whole different lot of levels, uh, but performance are actually moving the business needle level of the value of training. So my question to you is, do you buy that? I think um, I think people forget that we're trying to always segregate things into certain pieces and try to measure those things. When in reality, the organization is just that, is an organization. It's an organization of parts that work together. And although we're trying to segregate pieces into enterprise or you know precise employee outcomes, it's not one or the other. It's actually all of it. And and I'll give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago, um, we did work for five years with Apple uh, and their what they call the worldwide customers um, uh, support center, which we all know as AppleCare, uh, typically generic. It's not just AppleCare, but AppleCare is the most visible part of it. And at one uh, customer, Consumer Reports went to Steve Jobs at one point and says, you know, you guys don't even fall in the top 10 of the best customer service companies in the world. You can, people complain about Apple. So, you know, bull, bull seeing a red flag, you know, decides that, you know, Steve Jobs decides, no, we're going to become number one, but not just in technology, but worldwide in customer service. Now, here's what a typical response of any other company would do. They would just deploy a customer service training program to all employees and hope something sticks, right? Or what you and I know as spray and pray, right, kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, mm -hmm. and and companies still do that, right? Oh, we need oh we need to get better in customer service. So let's just put out a customer service training program on everything. Get somebody to come in for two days and train everybody on everything. Okay, they didn't do that. The what they did, and, and I was fortunate to work with a fantastic L and D team at Apple at the Apple the Worldwide Support Center. They what they did is said, okay, let's analyze where the weaknesses 
are in the um, Apple Care staff or the people that are supporting these products. And how do we do that? Well, we're not going to deploy any training yet. We need to identify so a needs assessment or skills gaps assessment, but very precise. What they would do is actually they did it a little bit backwards. Where we do testing after we do training, they did testing right up front to get that needle. And they did for like 8,000 employees worldwide at the time. Um, they would test them. Now, just not just when I say test them, they would deploy through their in, in intranets, uh, quizzes, you know, quizzes, exams, and tests. And when during the downtime, they would ask them to take it. And before big data was big data, they would drive all this data into their servers, and the L&D team would do an analysis, and you know, with all the metrics of the how the questions were responded to, to see exactly where the weaknesses lie. So now this didn't make it a shotgun approach; it made it a sniper approach. I hate to use that analogy, but I think it's probably the best. They could identify. If Ajay was an Apple Care employee and he's taking a call uh, or he did the exam and he's having trouble to understand he's failing or maybe not doing well enough to show how to connect an iPhone to, an, to a MacBook, um, now they can deploy the exact resource to, to get Ajay trained in it. So at the end of the day, I either get coached, I get a tutorial, I get whatever it may be to fix that. Now, it didn't stop there. Ajay keeps doing tests over tests over tests, and and they keep being iterative of this process that it keeps perfecting me over time that they will deploy the right resources to, to developing me. At one point, they were de deploying um, one at a peak, one and a half million, one and a half to two million tests a year over 8,000 employees and driving this data back to their servers. And that's how they were deploying training. Now, you and I know they're not perfect, but I, my experience, most of the time, and when I talk to people, when you call Apple Care, they solve your problem, and you walk off the phone content. I have every single time. Maybe there might have been one time I was not happy, but out of the scope of it, I was really happy. But that speaks to the value of knowledge within and learning within that organization. So, say you're listening to this podcast and you're in that group of training professionals that just hasn't taken it as a priority a priority to shore up their financial and business acumen. What steps would you recommend? What resources or where should they go, I guess, to start closing that gap in, in a, a, you know, a more efficient way than, you know, getting an MBA somewhere? Well, you know, like I said, they don't need to be experts. They need to be literate. So uh, take some easy steps. I understand a lot of people go to learning conferences to get better at their learning skills, but you're probably already good at that. What I need you to do is go out and find books, just books to read, and nothing complicated. Go look at some of the leading books to read, or even just go to articles like, for example, John, your stuff is fantastic. You'd write great blog posts with a lot of valuable insights. It's not complicated to do. There's a lot of free resources out there. I write for many publications, my favorite being elearningindustry.com. If you're a learner and you're trying to promote learning to others, then you should be a learner, promote learning to yourself. Learning mm -hmm. is not about just learning in your own space. It's being holistic about it. And if you're working in an organization, in a, in a corporation, your responsibility to your organization is to understand the business, not to be an expert in the business. There are people who are hired to do that, like you are hired to be a learning expert. But you need to understand the business and how you fit in that space. And so, you know, as you know, John, I've written a book called The Trainer's Balance Scorecard that speak to the performance relationship between strategy and connecting learning to the organization. Um, there's great books out there and on the performance side. Uh, the two founders, um, Kaplan and Norton of the Balance Scorecard, uh, the granddaddies of this performance framework uh, revolution, mm -hmm. 
30 years ago, but there's a guy called Paul Niven wrote these books. He's translated Kaplan and Norton stuff. Great, easy reads, and he does really a good job about it. And I don't have any stake in him. I just love his stuff. Um, and then look at things. I got a mag, uh, what do you call a management accounting guideline coming out with CPA Canada about rethinking strategy that's coming out shortly. And I'll share that with you, John. So maybe you can share a link. It's free to access. It's by, it's by CPA Canada. It's going worldwide about understanding strategy within an organization and how organizations are thinking about that. Wow. There you go. Sage advice. Ajay Panga Care. Uh, our guest here that carries a few decades here of helping organizations be a whole lot smarter and a lot more strategic. Thanks for uh, stopping by today here and uh, sharing your expertise. So it was great to uh, to hear all your stories and uh, we'd definitely like to have you on again here to continue to dig deeper down this topic because nothing is more germane here to kind of what we're thinking about in extended enterprise learning and talented learning. So uh, thank you very much. John, it's been a pleasure. I value your advice. I value what you do. I think, uh, I don't say this lightly, I think you're one of the few people in this business that really bring a very tangible value to what we're talking about. So please keep up the great work. And it's only been my pleasure to be part of this podcast and part of Talented Learning. Um, and I, I hope to continue that relationship. So thank you again. That's great. Congratulations on your success, listeners. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in to another episode of the Talented uh, Learning Show. You can find more of our fiercely independent content at talentedlearning.com. Thank you.